We just sang of that uh, scripture that says, how beautiful the feet that carry this gospel of peace to the fields of injustice, the valleys of need. How beautiful the feet of Dal and Beth Stanton who have carried that gospel to various countries. We have had the privilege of partnering with them. We rejoice that they're with us today. We were blessed yesterday by them. We will be blessed today. Dal, will you come? Thank you, Dale. He's Dale, I'm Dal. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. My wife, Beth, and my daughter, Johanna, are seated down here, and I'm just so overjoyed that they can be here, especially my wife. I've visited so many churches over the years saying, I really am married because Beth with, you know, we had five kids, we have five kids, and she was pretty busy taking care of them, and for her to be able to come with me, I began to say, you know, you probably don't really believe I'm married. Those are just pictures to grab at your hearts, but I'm glad she's here. Chapter 32, and we're going to read God's word from verse 22. The message that I will be bringing to you is entitled, The Hip, The Heart of Mission. Listen to God's word. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put on a joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Heavenly Father, As we have read your word, now teach us. Father, be pleased to pour out your spirit. 
that your people might be equipped to understand and apply your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know what you're thinking right now. What does this bizarre passage have to do with missions? That's all right. I think the very same thing, but I'm going to explain. What is the topic or what is the theme of this missions conference? Do you remember what your pastor said? Oh, church, arise. Let me translate that for you. People of St. Andrews, young folks, middle folks, older folks, mobilize. The world around us is dying. Your community needs to hear from you. Oh, church, arise. When the ensemble sang Laura Story's Strong to Save, that song and that album that that song is on by Laura Story is indelibly imprinted in my heart. Because when we go out on the streets in Bulgaria to reach out to the prostitutes, our daughters, I am the designated driver and head prayer behind the wheel. And we put that CD in and listen to Laura's story talking about strong to save. That's war music. And as we pray and worship our God in the van, our ladies are outside talking with the daughters on the streets. When God first confronted us with the reality of this need in our community, prostitution and trafficking, we were tempted to respond to that challenge by saying, who are we? This need is so big. We are just the proverbial drop in the bucket. And yet, our God is strong to save. I look at you, and if I could only convey how God sees you, how Jesus looks at you, and you would hear his words, O oh, people of St. Andrews, rise up! You would rise up. I know you would. This passage helps us understand, I think, what that rising up looks like. It's not what you would expect. I think of what Jesus said to his disciples after he was crucified. 
in John chapter 20. They were hiding. The doors were locked. They were fearful. Their leader had been murdered. What would happen to the movement? He appeared after his resurrection. He told them peace. But then he said these words. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, so often when we talk about missions, the focus is on the exotic places worldwide where people go and live and serve. And there is, you know, that idea of going is important because God calls His people to let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, and be willing to give up everything to both go and to send those who He calls to go. But I want you to see very carefully those words. One little word at the beginning, Jesus said, changes that whole perspective. He says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The focus is not where, but how. How was Jesus sent into the world? How did he live? How did he die? He was broken for us. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his death, we are given life. You see, as the Father has sent Jesus, that's how we are to go into this world. And there's something that everyone in this room has in common with everybody out there not in this room. We're broken people. Everyone in this room has needs. You have received news that loved ones have diseases and are dying. You have received news of a lo job lost, income not there. You struggle in areas of life. We could go on and on, but don't you see, you share this in common with everybody out there, but there's one big difference your brokenness is in God's hands and He has given you life to be broken people going out to reach a broken world like your Lord and Savior did with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you.
Jacob is a picture of this for us to learn from. I know, this wrestling match with God, what does it have to do with missions? And I would submit to you much because when we think of missions, the going is important, but so much more important than the going that enables the going, that enables the giving, is the relationship with this God who has given us life and how that life becomes strong in His hands. Let's look at our text. We have the God-man wrestling with Jacob through the night. When I first became a believer at age 18, and as I rummaged through God's Word, it was totally new territory for me. It came upon this passage, I said, what is going on? I have heard messages, I've read commentaries, and I remember one message that I heard where the pastor described this passage as being a picture of how we wrestle with God and prevail We wrestle with God in prayer, and if we pray hard enough, we can somehow prevail over God. And I know there are passages in the Bible about praying and and you know just the persistence, but I don't think this has to do. Think about it: prevailing over God. What does that look like? Questions come to my mind. I don't know about you, but I ask questions. When I come to texts like this, if God is almighty and man is feeble, why is there even a struggle? Why is not Jacob immediately just obliterated? Does God need to cripple Jacob? These are the questions that come to my mind. But I want you to underline or put a star next to one verse in this passage because if you miss this one verse, it doesn't come together. You can't understand what's happening. And the verse is verse 24. It says, And a man wrestled with him, until the breaking of day. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. You see, the important thing to see here is Jacob is not the aggressor. The man is. The man came. And notice, the attack was not a hit Steal his things, you know, hit him over the head. Steal his things and run. That's not what we see here. But the man came and attacked and wrestled with him. And the difference between a hit over the head and a wrestle is that if somebody wrestles with you, you can't get away unless you break the grip of the aggressor.
So you see, Jacob did not wrestle because he chose to, but because he had to. And the important question is, why does God do this at all? Look at this. God reduced him down to the size, himself down to the size of Jacob. He did not take unfair advantage of him. And the strangest part of it all is that we're not told how long exactly they wrestled. But the sense is it was quite some time until the breaking of dawn. What does this all mean? And what I suggest to you is what we see here is a picture of God coming to wrestle with Jacob with what we so often only understand in our own lives from hindsight. The crises that we encounter, the struggles that we all have in common, Sometimes these things happen to us because of our sin, but sometimes we live in a world that's broken and things are just messy. And all these things come on us. And we struggle. And all these struggles that we face can cause us to lose touch with the fact that God is good and that he promises to be with me and to never leave me. You see, God is showing us that these struggles is God wrestling with us, providing the divine resistance that our wandering hearts need to continue to remember that God is good. What is unbelief for a believer? You all believe in God, but I can tell you that unbelief cripples you. And what is unbelief? You forget that this God is good. And I know, I see a bunch of young folks back there. I know, I see you back there. You're trying to hide, but I see you. Your generation, believers, professing believers, struggles with this so much. The idea that mom and dad have told me that God is in control of all things. He is sovereign. And you're struggling in your heart saying, if he's in control of all things, then why is this world in such a mess? Why are people hurting so, pearl, so much? Why is there suicides among the people I know? Because they are so hopeless. Is God really good? 
That is an issue that we face. And the interesting thing as we look at the life of Jacob, he presents us very interestingly with pictures of God providing this divine resistance into his life, moving into his life in different ways to help Jacob get a clue of, his, of who his God was, is. And I have three case studies, and I know this sounds a little corny, but I have named each case study, and they rhyme. A name, a dame, and a game. I know dame, that's not politically correct, but oh well, let's go with it. The first case study, a name, subtitled Inheritance Blessing. You all know about Jacob's story. Jacob, in cahoots with his mama, deceived the old man to get the blessing, Isaac. He steals the blessing from his older brother, Esau. And after the deed is done, because he's fearful, he takes off and runs his, because he fears the retribution of his brother, Esau. His mother sends him to her country, to her brother Laban. But on the way, as he's fleeing after this deception of his father, you remember he's tired in his flight. And he finds a place on the ground and he puts his head on a stone. And you can find that passage just a few pages in front of where we are in chapter 28. And when he went to sleep, it said he had a dream, and a very bizarre dream indeed. Look at verse 12, chapter 28. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and to your, and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, I want you to put what the Lord just revealed to Jacob in juxtaposition to Jacob's circumstances. In spite of all that Jacob did, God 
was confirming his promises and his love to him. And the amazing thing, what does Jacob's name mean? It means supplanter. And it characterized his life. It's like scratch and claw. He tries to get through his own ability, scratch and claw, what God would give him, what others would give him. He tries to take things in his own control. And he has no qualms about deception, lying, and stealing. And yet, God comes to him. In spite of all this, he says, I love you. I promise you all these things. And I won't leave you, Jacob. I'm with you, Emmanuel. And it reminds me of when Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before you, Jesus Christ is clearly portrayed as crucified. And he goes on to say, did you receive the, re the Spirit by obeying the law or by faith, believing? Is it by scratch, claw, or trust? Your pastor, week after week after week, lifts up Christ. He reminds you of the gospel. And the gospel comes to us and God is leaning into our unbelieving hearts. And so often we're so fat of good things from God that we don't even hear him any longer. The first case study, a name. The second case study, a dame. Subtitle, Backfire, Heritage, a Future in Question. Well, Jacob completes his journey. He finds his mother's family, and you know the story. He falls in love with Rachel, head over heels in love with Rachel. And he talks to his Uncle Laban, soon to be his father-in-law, and says, I want, I'd like to marry your daughter, Rachel. He said, okay, serve me for seven years, and she's yours. And what does Jacob do? He serves for seven years. Laban has the big party, puts on the best wine, and Jacob wakes up the next morning, and who is he with? Ugly sister Leah. What a job. Laban deceived Jacob as Jacob deceived Isaac. But you know what happened? It was Laban's desire to keep Jacob in servitude to him and not allow him to grow and to take his children with him. 
honor the goodness of Laban's heart, he gave Jacob Rachel after an obligatory week, but only on condition that he would serve him another seven years. But the amazing thing happened during that time. Jacob and Laban made a deal. Laban thought it was to his advantage to keep Jacob in servitude. Jacob would have all the sheep and everything that was born that had spots on it, while the more dominant gene, I don't know a lot about sheep, I'm reading this from scripture, the dominant gene, all the white ones Laban would keep, which would assure in Laban's mind Jacob's continued servitude. But what did God do? There were spots everywhere. And Jacob grew in wealth and children and everything else. How did God lean into Jacob's life at this point? You see, Jacob didn't do anything to Laban to deserve this. And there are things that happen in our lives quite frankly, that we don't deserve. It just happens. And we can become bitter people. And when we become bitter people, we're forgetting something very important. God is good. This reminds me the quintessential passage in Genesis where Joseph, who was given into slavery by his brothers because of jealousy into Egypt. But God prospered Joseph. And Joseph rose to be the number two man in the country. And when he revealed himself to his brothers, what did he say? And I tell you, if anybody had a reason for retribution and bitterness, Joseph did but he saw a bigger picture. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Is God good? Case study three, a game. We come to where we left off in the passage that we read. Subtitle, Manipulation for survival. Jacob finally was able to pull himself out of Jacob's control, uh, out of Laban's control, and he's going home. But who is waiting for him at home? Esau, who Jacob fears and knows that Jacob of all men deserved his judgment and his brother's retribution. And how did they give retribution in those days? At the end of a knife. And this is what Jacob feared. But what did Jacob do? He tried to play on the emotions and the sympathies of his brother. And the passage we read earlier is that he is putting before him 
all his livestock, all his servants, and then all his children and his wives in order to play on the sympathies of his brother, hoping that his past sins would not be his ruin. It's a high-stakes game, putting everything on the line. How did God lean into his life? What was the divine resistance? God showed Jacob that even at the end of himself, even at his ruin, in his desperation, he was in God's arms. Literally. But let's hold that idea. God wrestles with Jacob. Remember, it's a hindsight picture of our own lives. Jacob wrestled because he had no choice. He was defending himself, not attacking. Why? Because God was the aggressor. And as the aggressor, the aggressor always has the advantage, choosing the place, the circumstances. And God inserts himself at this particular point in time. But why? The picture we have is wrestling. I know a little bit about wrestling. When I was in high school, I was a little buffer than I am now. And I was on the wrestling team. I really was back there. I see you guys smiling. And wrestling is a sport that requires a lot of strength because it's all dependent upon balance. But the interesting thing is, as I think about wrestling on a wrestling team, trying to defeat the opponent, that's not quite the picture we have here. The picture we have here is more what I think about. I know my daughter down there, she's 18 years old now. But there was a time when she was about this high when we would clear away the furniture in our room, in, in the living room, and she would wrestle with Daddy. Have you guys ever done that? Oh, yeah. And you see, the wrestling like that is a different kind of picture because the picture is one of engaged protection. If I wanted to destroy my daughter, I could, but that's not my purpose. And that's not God's purpose here. You see, God wrestles with us. He struggles with us. And what he's doing is helping us come to the end of ourselves so that he can accomplish in us the purposes that he has for us to shape us into the kind of people he can use. God made Jacob to understand that Jacob's struggle was with God. Jacob did not know 
who the aggressor was at first. And so often, neither do we. In his circumstances, Jacob was struggling with God. He didn't know it. He was struggling with somebody that he thought was his relative equal. But it was when the aggressor busted his hip in verse 26, Jacob began to understand something else was going on here. Why? Wrestling is a sport of balance. And when his hip was busted, it was no longer balance. Because the aggressor, if he wanted to, could immediately put him down on his back and kill him. But he didn't do that. Jacob transitioned from wrestling with the aggressor to defend himself to hanging on to the aggressor to survive. An interesting thing here, Jacob asked the aggressor to bless him. And the aggressor said, what is your name? Kind of an interesting exchange, kind of like, what is going on here? You know? God knew what his name was. He said, my name is Jacob. Scratch, claw. He said, now your name is Israel. You know what Israel means? You might have a little footnote in your text. Israel means God struggler. Your name is no longer scratch, claw, but your name is God struggler. And brothers and sisters, you are the new Israel in Christ. You are the God strugglers. That's your name. That's who we are. You see, the picture here is Jacob hanging on to God for survival, and God says, with that picture, he's hanging on God, he's been struggling with God, God has been struggling with him, and he says, this, Jacob, this is the picture of what it means to prevail when we are totally, utterly dependent on God, broken. God wrestles with us because helplessness, oh, it hurts, makes us hang on to Him. And when we hang on to Him, we are whole. Paul described this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he cried out to God three times to take away this unnamed, unspecified thorn in the flesh. He said, take it away, take it away. If you take it away, I can serve you more. And Jesus responded, Paul, when you are weak, my strength is perfected. 
my grace is sufficient for you. And then Jacob asked the aggressor his name. And I'm telling you, the response is so Jesus. Jacob, you're asking me my name? Is it not obvious? I'm the one you saw in your dreams standing at the top of the ladder. I am God. I am your Savior. I am your provider. I am the one who will give you this land. And I am with you, Emmanuel. And the scene suddenly changes and it comes to a close. And the picture we get, Jacob, Israel, named the place Peniel, which means face of God. We know the Latin, more, it's more familiar to us, Coram Deo. We live before his face. And then the final picture is this. Going to meet his brother. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. It hurts living in a broken world. There's pain being broken people. But do you see, this is the heart of the gospel. This is how God shapes us to be the people that can love the people out there because we're all broken. O oh, church, arise. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are confirmed in our understanding that without you we can do nothing. And yet we realize so often that we resist this. So often we forget that you are good and that we look at our circumstances as being foreign and yet remind us, Father, that we wrestle with you. We are now God wrestlers and you are shaping us to be a people after your own heart. And we pray, Father, that we would be that kind of people for Christ's sake. Amen.